Thank you, worship team. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Philippians. We're on our way in a journey through the book of Philippians, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 11, Philippians 2, actually 3 through 11, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. And um, in the sermon, I'm going to refer to John chapter 13. So once you find Philippians 2, turn left back to the Gospel of John and just put some kind of marker there at John chapter 13. Let's stand together as we read Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not account count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may be seated. And it's our tradition here just to give you a minute here of silence and reflect on God's Word when it's raining outside. Because it makes me feel like you're inside and then you're you're in a shelter. And the greatest shelter we could ever be in is inside of God's Word. So it kind of is a visual illustration of what we're trying to do here together. <clears throat> this morning's sermon is really the second half of last week's sermon. And we talked about this critical passage as it it's sort of like a, a hub for the rest of the of the letter. You can go from chapter 1 to chapter 4 and draw lines back to this one, this one particular hymn that Paul has inserted into chapter 2. And we spent the entire time last week just trying to absorb something that's bigger than we can absorb. And that's the dominance of Jesus and the direction, the humble direction of Jesus. So we were just, we were, it's like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, Without trying to point anything out first, we were just trying to absorb it. Just to stand there and just go, this is incredible. It's so big. It's so powerful. And then we just noticed Jesus and his, his humble direction. So we weren't just overwhelmed by his pure dominance. We were overwhelmed by his direction. And so I ran out of time last week to draw any applications. So I want to do that this week. And I'll just have three points of application. But the first thing I want to do is just review, in case you weren't here or your mind isn't quite as bright as it used to be. Uh, As teachers say, repetition is the mother of all learning. So let's just go back and review. One of the main themes that's running through the book of Philippians is unity. And the Apostle Paul knows that the primary ingredient for unity 
is going to be humility. So he's trying to have this little church that's uh, in Greece that he's planted to stay unified because they live under this dark shadow of the Roman Empire. And he knows there's going to be lots of pressures that are going to come from without and cause pressures within. And he's trying to get this little church to stay unified because that's going to be going to be one of its greatest witnesses. And he realizes there's a prime ingredient that you're going to need in unity. And that prime ingredient is humility. And after he, he just explains that in these first few verses, uh, then he reaches for a visual example. So if you're uh, an auditory learner, you just can read and go, okay, we need humility. But some people just don't hear it. They need to see it. So he's going to go grab an illustration. He's going to grab a person, and that person is Jesus, and say, you know, I've, I've talked about humility, but let me show you what it looks like, and, and Jesus is going to be our example. So in verse 5, he says, you need to have this mindset. Let's look at Jesus. Let's see how his mind operates, and then let's let that be how our mind operates as well. So Paul unpacks Jesus' mindset, which is, it is mind-blowing. Verse 6, although Jesus could count himself equal to God, he, he held on to all the glories of God. It's, it's like he could count all the way to infinity, all the glorious riches of being God, and hold on to that. Instead, he, he emptied himself. He, he didn't hold on to his identity. He actually, he emptied himself. And Jesus' mindset here was to, to let go of his massively privileged position and to count others more important than himself. And we talked about this. He's, it's as if he's in heaven with God, the Trinity, however we might explain that. And he's counting all the riches and then he's counting something else. He's counting you. He's counting me. And he's saying, if I don't let go of this in some form, these people aren't going to be able to get into heaven. So he counts the two and he lets go of all this glory in order to come after, to come after you and me. Verse 7, then he empties himself. What does he empty himself into? I mentioned this last week. Once you find out, it should make you fall out of your chair. I mean, if you were God and you were going to actually come down and be in human form, what form would you choose? Well, somebody mighty powerful is what I would choose. Somebody who's got every comfort, every luxury, everything at his or her disposal. I would just make sure I was at the very top of the pyramid and he empties himself into the form of a servant. The Greek word is doulos. It's sometimes translated slave. He comes down into the least likely form that we would imagine. I don't know if you watch any of these Marvel movies. Any Marvel movie fans in here? They're on all the time. Uh, and if you ever watch one with some friends, this happens. I, I, don't, I don't know. It happens with a bunch of guys for sure, but it really happens with any group. You watch one, and then you go out and eat a pizza, and what, what do you discuss? Which superpower would you want, right? I mean, because you've got all these guys and girls in the mix, 
and you're saying, would, would I want to be the Black Panther? Would I want to be the Black Widow? Would I want to be the Hulk? Would I want to be Captain America? And you kind of choose why this superpower's better than others. Now imagine God in the flesh coming down and every superpower is available to him. What would he choose? He does choose a superpower. It's humility. It's the one superpower that you can choose. It's the one superpower available to everybody in this room. So when, he, when Paul says, have the mindset of Christ, he's not saying, be the Hulk, because you just can't be the Hulk or be Captain America. You can't be Captain America. But if you say, have the mindset of Christ, well, you know what? You actually can do that. It is within all of our grasp to have this superpower of humility, to empty ourselves into this kind of place. So Jesus' mindset is not, was not to promote himself, but to empty himself. And finally, in verse 8, just as way of review, this final step down, you might say, from divinity, from divinity, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when Paul says obedient to death, it doesn't mean death is some sort of ultimate master that rules over Jesus. He's saying, no, Jesus was obedient all the way up to death. He was purposely choosing all these things. So when we see Jesus hanging on a cross, we're never going to look at him as a victim, but a volunteer. Now this is, this is so important, especially in terms of the application. When Jesus becomes obedient to death, he's, he's not a victim, he's a volunteer. And what does he volunteer to do? He volunteers to absorb other people's sin and exchange it for forgiveness. Jesus volunteers and Paul says, I want you to have this mindset to actually absorb other people's sin and exchange it for forgiveness. Okay, that's the review. Now, Let's make three points of application. Jesus' mindset, our mindset. One, to empty yourself. Two, to leverage yourself. And three, to sacrifice yourself. Now, there are more points of application, but these three stand out to me. To, that, that Now we're, we're supposed to have this mindset, which means emptying yourself, leveraging yourself, sacrificing yourself. First, empty yourself. Well, just when I think about this, what did Jesus empty himself of? We know he emptied himself into a servant, but what did he empty himself of? And it's certainly more than one attribute, but I would say the primary attribute is glory. In Jesus' last prayer with his disciples, John 17, he says this, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, I had some kind of glory, something I could hold on to, some position I held, and I've emptied myself of that. And now Jesus is saying, I'd like to be back in that place with the glory that we had together. 
in human form, Jesus emptied himself of God's glory. Now, in our culture, glory is what people grasp for, isn't it? I mean, isn't that the main thing you want to be or do or, or have something glorious? That's the, that's the main thing you're trying to grasp hold of. And whether it's as small as an Apple Watch or the car that you drive or a position that you have or the clothes that you wear or whatever it is, there's something about you want somebody to notice that thing that somehow adds to your glory. That's how our culture works. And Jesus says, you know, all that glory, let's let go of that. Let's let that be our mindset. It wasn't something to be to be grasped. The self wasn't something to be promoted. It was something to be poured out. And I, I can't tell you exactly how you should incorporate Jesus' mindset here. I can tell you it's going to be going completely against the current grain of the culture. The culture's not going to help you do this at all. And I think it would be hard for any, any age and any position. There's certain difficulties but I'd say if you're under 30, you have a particularly big challenge. And that's because of the technology that you're used to and growing up with. And so much of it is for self-glorification. If I never look at my Instagram again, guess what? I don't care. I don't care. I feel better when I don't. But for so many people under 30, it's like saying, don't talk. I mean, it's, it's, it's so much of my identity and communication about myself and other people. So it's much more difficult in that age and stage. Again, there's difficulties in everywhere, but I love the, the title of this business, business book, Platform. Platform. Subtitle, Get Noticed in a Noisy World. I love that. I love that because that should be the vision statement of our world. I mean, that's perfect. You've got to build a platform. So who can stand on it? Well, you, of course. You've got to build a platform so I can just stand up and go, oh, let me get in the light. Okay. I know it's a noisy world out there, but everyone needs to notice me. That's the whole idea. Build a platform to make sure in this very noisy world, you stand out. People actually notice you. Think about the word selfie. Doesn't it just make you shiver a little bit? Selfie? Selfie. I mean, this one word like puts the finger on the pulse of the culture. And if there was ever a person who had a reason to build a platform, if there was ever a person who had a reason to take a selfie and say, look at me, who is it? It's Jesus. Nobody could top him. But yet these are the very things he's saying, no, I'm letting go of these things. I'm, I'm not holding on to these things. I'm emptying myself. Think of the two of the three temptations offered to Jesus in the wilderness. What were they? First one, I will give you all the glory of the world. And somehow in, in Satan's ability, he just shows Jesus all power, all glory that the world could possibly give you. And he says, it all can be yours if you just worship me. 
If you just transfer worship away from God and worship me, everything you want, every glorious moment, it's all yours. And Jesus said, hey, I've let go of that. Second thing, he takes him up to the top of the temple and said, throw yourself off so that angels and humanity, all of creation, up and down, can see that you're really Jesus. Do something spectacular. And Jesus said, I'm going to do something spectacular. See, in Jesus' mindset, this is spectacular. If you wear a piece of jewelry that has a little cross on it, I hope what you mean to say is, this is spectacular. Not notice me. Notice what's spectacular about Jesus, his incredible humility. And if Satan is using this as a primary tool against Jesus... How much more is he going to use it for you and me? If Jesus' mindset was self, he saw himself as something to be emptied rather than promoted. And so it's worthwhile just to take time as a family, take time as a couple, take time with your friends and just say, practically, how would I let go of myself? I was listening to a podcast last week, and it was, I don't know even what the topic was, but the guy on the podcast said it's, um, what, what did he say, it's, it's Sober October, which I'd never heard of. Um, I mean, I don't drink, so I don't need to worry about Sober October. Not a big problem for me, but Sober October is apparently a thing. And I think it's a good thing from what I could just tell in this little podcast. It was was a way just to say, I'm going to say no to alcohol for October. It's just a way of sort of reining yourself in, just saying, I just want to make sure I wouldn't get addicted to anything. And a month would certainly be a long enough time to sort of break that addiction if I happen to have it. And so I'm wondering if you're under 30, if you can have sober October about social media. I think about these high school guys who went up to Pioneer Plunge. I'm sure they didn't have a phone. And eight hours of sober silence. I mean, imagine how hard that would have been. But do you see how life-giving it was to those guys? And I wonder if there's something you can tangibly take home, something you as a couple, you as a friend group, you as a family can say, hey, let's, let's make sure we're not holding on to these things. We're not saying you could never use social media. We're just saying, I want to make sure my heart isn't addicted to it, so I've got to do something to make sure I'm not just falling into the stream of the culture. So Jesus empties himself, number one. Number two, Jesus leverages himself. He empties himself into a specific form, a form of a servant. And it's important to remember just the perspective of how this might be heard by the the people in Philippi. The people in Philippi were very proud people because they were a Roman colony. And what it meant that is if you live in the city, you're a citizen of Rome. So you have all kinds of rights, all kinds of privileges. You really, you really appreciate your freedom because in the vast, sprawling Roman Empire, only 15% of the population were citizens. Everybody else was something else. Many of them were slaves. So to say, I'm in the 15%. I'm a citizen. And Paul to say, hey, you're a slave now. Oh, just 
feel how hard that would have been to hear. What? I'm in this unique, privileged place in all of the Roman Empire. I'm a citizen. I have freedom. I have identity. And you're asking me to give that up? Yes. Actually, I am. Because God had a citizenship in heaven that he leveraged for people who didn't deserve. And that's what now Paul is asking us to do. It's it's mind-blowing. Jesus doesn't use his power to get over people. He uses his power to get under, to, to leverage. You know this picture of leverage? You're trying to move something or lift something heavy, and you can't just do it by yourself, so you find some kind of crowbar or, or, or a piece of wood or something, and you push it under, and then you pull down, and it moves the object in some way. And that's the picture that Paul wants us to have. You're the point that gets pushed under. What, what heavy object, person, issue in our culture is God calling you to get pushed under? Not, not see, you don't see that point. That point's under. But that point that's under leverages power so something can move forward. Now, the best place to see this is John chapter 13. So let's turn there quickly. Very important passage, very familiar passage. Jesus is in the upper room. This was a few days before his crucifixion. It's the Last Supper. Now, before the feast, chapter 13, verse 1 of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart. He knows the coming crucifixion. During the supper, verse 2, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, key verse, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So somehow in this dinner party, a, a divine transaction happens. And Jesus knows all power whatever whatever you can even imagine that from being god all power now rests in jesus hands now what would you do if you're the most powerful person in the room what would you do if you're the most powerful being on the planet what kind of things come to mind what did Jesus do? Took off his outer robe, put on a towel, and washed the feet of Peter, who's going to be a failure, and, G- and Judas, who's going to be a fake. Do you see the leverage of that power? I'm not getting under good people who deserve a chance. I'm getting underneath. I'm leveraging my power under failures and fakes. What do you do if you have the most power in the room? If you have Jesus' mindset, you leverage it. You leverage it. And after he sits back down, he stares intently into the eyes of every man around the table. He looks over the bread, the wine, and the lamb that had been slain. You need to see all those pictures as he, he looks at every man. 
Do you understand, he says? If I, God in the flesh, have washed your feet, failures and fakes, then you ought to do the same. Almost all of us in this room have some kind of power. Something you can leverage. Might be time. Might be in your your intelligence. Might be a position that you have as a parent or as a boss, a teacher, a tutor. It could be the money that you own. There's all kinds of ways that you would have have power. And my question is, are you using that to get up underneath people? Two things I want to mention here before we get to our third point. Jesus' mindset was to serve. And a servant isn't an owner. A servant is somebody who gets something from the master and is a conduit to make this happen. So I just wonder about your mindset, about my mindset. Is it, it, do we have an owner mindset or a servant mindset? With your time. With your money. With your intelligence or skill. Are you holding on that tight like I own it and I get to decide how it gets used? Or are you like a hose? Hey, God's hooked me up to himself. He's giving me this stuff. It's just running through me to to go to other people, to supply and nourish other people. Second thing I just want to make a comment here before we get to the third part is there's a pretty big difference between Jesus and you and me in the upper room. And that is we're not perfect. When Jesus comes and serves, he's perfect. But now we're, he's asking us to do the same, but we're the fakes and failures. We're the people that he got, he got up underneath. And the reason that is important is that when you go to serve other people who turn out to be fakes and failures, and they will be, you're not coming in as a judge. Why? Because you were a fake and failure. And God got underneath you. So you come into this group of people or this life, and you come in more like an AA sponsor. Hey, I've been there. I was in the circle. I'm a sinner. I I will have these same kinds of addictions. I totally get it. Do you see the difference in that mindset? If you come in as, well, I'm so this and that, and boy, I'm coming down, just that whole tone is going to be totally unchristlike. But if you come in and say, hey, I'm an alcoholic. And by God's mercy, I've been given some grace to move away from it, but I get it. You couldn't tell me anything about your failures or you being a fake that would surprise me because I know it all. I've done it all. I've got my own stories. And do you see, as a Christian church, how different that attitude would be when we come and serve? If you come in that way? Final point. Maybe some of you are saying, let's just end with two points today, Paul. I don't need any more application This is unfortunately the hardest piece. Jesus' mindset was to sacrifice himself. He didn't just empty himself. He didn't just leverage himself. 
He sacrificed himself. And when he did, Jesus' mindset was to pay for what other people deserve to pay for. This is why this is hard. Paul tells us that your mind should, your mind set should be like Christ, and that means you're going to volunteer to absorb other people's sin in order to forgive. Oh man, don't you wish this wasn't in the Bible? Like, let's just scratch this little part out right here. You're going to volunteer to absorb other people's sin in order to forgive. Just one way for me to think about this and may be helpful for you, and I've, I've said this before, when you think about forgiveness, let's pretend um, that at the end of the service, I'm tired, you say something I don't like, and for some reason, I snap. And I say something really regrettable to you. Now, let's pray right now that won't happen. But let's just, it's for points of illustration only. And that I call you a name or I say something about you that's truly harmful to you emotionally. And let's say we could quantify that emotional damage as $1,000 worth of emotional damage to you. You, you walk outside, I walk through the kitchen, oh, I feel so bad, I meet you outside, hey, will you forgive me? And you say, if you say, yes, Paul, I will forgive you. I understand you were tired, I'm sure you didn't mean it, blah, 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 I'm going to forgive you. Okay, thank you so much. And I walk away. <clears throat> Is that $1,000 dent, does it go away right then? What's the answer to that? No, it doesn't. Some of you have $1,000 dents you've been living with for a long time. And what you're doing as the person who's forgiving is I'm going to absorb your sin and I'm going to forgive you. Do you see? That's exactly what Jesus is doing. That's our mindset. This is one of the hardest things to do. And the only way you're going to have any success in doing it is you've got to see that Jesus has actually done it for you. If you don't really realize somehow, in, you haven't internalized that God Almighty has come down and He has forgiven your sin. He has absorbed all of it then when you come to that person, man, that's going to be hard when you cause me a $1,000 dent. You cause me a $1,000 dent, I prefer choking over forgiving. I want to make you pay. That's, that's my first worldly reaction. Some of you are going, I'm not coming back to this church because if I ever give a pastor a $1,000 dent, it's going to choke me. But you, you understand what I'm saying, do you not? Your first reaction, you give me the dent, I want to reach back and make you have a dent too. But a mind of Christ is, hey, I'm going to absorb that. And the way I pay it down, the way it lessens control over me, is first of all, I realize what Christ has done for me. And secondly, I come to Christ who says, come to me, all you who are carrying heavy burdens, 
And one of the heaviest burdens you can carry is someone else's sin against you. And you're going to say, God, I don't know if I can carry this one more step. I don't know if I can do it one more day. It's, it's so wounding. I don't have a $1,000 dent. I have a million-dollar dent. And slowly over time, as you walk with the shepherd, and you realize how much he's paid, that dent begins to lessen. Two final comments here. Philippians chapter 2 talks about two people in the congregation who have labored side by side, two women. We don't know what their argument is about, but it's a relational argument. It's not a theological argument. And let's just say one of these two women has caused the $1,000 dent to the other. And Paul sees that if these two women somehow don't adopt the mind of Christ, it's going to disrupt the whole congregation. So you and I going into an election season, having to wear a mask, having to try to figure out all the things we figure out, there's going to be all kinds of frayed ends, nerve endings that are going to touch each other. And if we don't have the mind of Christ to act humbly, to ask for forgiveness, to be willing to absorb somebody else's sin, we're going to be in trouble. Second, final comment here is, in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So in case you don't know what that looks like, you do today. What does that mean, Paul? It means to empty yourself. It means to leverage yourself. It means to sacrifice yourself for your bride. Sounds like you need a superpower. Yep, you do. But it's a superpower available to you. It's called humility. And the way you have it is you have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, th- this application, uh, it's, it's going to hit everybody here at so, some point. Some some relationship or some issue, somebody struggling to, to absorb the sin of someone else and extend forgiveness. The difficulty of, of getting out of the owner mindset and being a servant and, and stuffing ourselves underneath where we can't be seen, but in order to leverage for people who may not deserve to empty, to let go of worldly glory so that we might hold on to you. Lord, would you help us by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.